Today's show sponsors are good friends at Organifi. Organifi gives you as a lifer 20% all of your products when you go to O-R-G-A-N-I-F-I.com forward slash Shaleen. Again, it's code Shaleen. That gets you 20% off all of your products. What I would suggest you try if you're looking for something chocolatey and sweet at night is the new Organifi Gold Chocolate. They just came out with it. So it's for a limited time. It's amazing. It's a blend of herbs and medicinal mushrooms. And I know you're what you're thinking, like, wait, it's supposed to taste like hot chocolate, but there's mushrooms. Trust me, it's a holistic alternative to hot chocolate. It doesn't at all taste like mushrooms, I promise you that. It will calm your nerves, it'll enhance your immune system, and it could actually help you sleep better, which I should probably have a cup of that tonight, just right after I record this. Organify dot com o r g a n i f i dot com forward slash shaleen for twenty percent off. And while we're thanking show sponsors, I also want to thank our friends at Trophy Skin. Trophy Skin gives you as a lifer fifteen percent off when you use their code code lifer. Don't forget that at trophyskin.com. Trophy Skin is a great company. Again, another one of those companies that I reached out to because I fell in love with this little machine that I brought home and started doing my own microdermabrasion instead of having to go to the salon. They've got incredible products. You know, if you can afford it, I would suggest the Ultra Derm. It's like, like I said, it's like microdermabrasion at home, but it also provides you with that kinetic toning and it's under $400. Now that might seem very high, For some of you, if that's not in the budget, keep in mind that if you're going to go to the spa and have this done, I mean, two or three treatments and you've already paid for your microdermabrasion at home system. Again, that's the Ultra Derm MD, but they've got super affordable tools like the Brighten MD, which you can use microcurrent stimulation for your eyes, your face, and your neck. And let's face it, Some of us are a little leery about going under the knife, but we still want to look young and refreshed. So this is a wonderful alternative. And so I want to thank our friends at Trophy Skin for giving lifers 15% off. Again, that's trophyskin.com and enter the code lifer for 15% off. I posted a poll to Instagram and asked, how many of you feel like as you get older, your bladder gets smaller? I mean, in your 30s, you can't hold it as long as you did in your 20s. In your 40s, you're like, what in the heck is going on? In your 50s, you're like, I am wasting the second half of my life running to go to the bathroom every five seconds. What in the world is the deal? So I posted this poll up to my Instagram stories wondering if I was the only one that felt this way. And much to my surprise, 97%, I think it was 97 to 98% of my audience said, Absolutely. It's driving me crazy. What do I do about this? But one person reached out to me and said, I can tell you why this is happening. And more importantly, I would love to share with your followers some ways that they can fix this themselves. You are not destined to live the rest of your life running to the bathroom or to feel like you've lost your sex drive. And perhaps worse yet, not to understand your own sexual health. I received that message from physician and urologist, Dr. Kelly Kasperson. Kelly has advanced training in pelvic floor medicine and surgery. Today, you're going to hear how it is she came to understand like 
this is the assignment. (laughs) Women think they're broken. Women don't understand their own sexual health. They don't understand intimacy. They don't even understand their, quote, lady parts. And the things that she learned in medical school just weren't enough. Once she started practicing, she realized that there were so many women who were just hungry for more education. She describes herself as a mom, a wife, a nerd, and a surgeon. And today, she's going to help us understand how to keep our lady parts healthy, how to optimize your sexual experience, how to stop peeing your pants every time you sneeze, and frankly, what you need to know about hormones. She is our kind of girl. You're going to love her. Without further ado, Dr. Kelly Casperson. So I asked my audience to shoot me some questions, and let's just dig right into it if we can. I love the questions. The first thing was, is it true that the general area below the belly button is not really, we're calling it the vagina, it's really not a vagina? Yeah. You can't see your vagina. If you take a mirror and you look, you're looking at your vulva. Okay. Like Literally, we've erased the word from society. Like We don't even know it. I've taught my three-year-old, so my three-year-old will tell me her vulva hurts and it's the cutest thing ever. <laughs> But it's like, you've got to know the right word so you can talk to your doctor about like what hurts, right? Or like where it hurts. Because when a woman comes to me and she says down there, I'm like, oh, we got to narrow it down. Like there's a lot going on. So yeah, the external genitalia, the labia majora, menorah, clitoris, urethra, the entrance to the vagina, that's all vulva. And then the actual tube on the inside, that's the vagina. Wow. Wow. Okay. Can you just give us a quick 101 of our lady parts and and what their purpose is? Yes. So the vagina, we'll start on the inside. And the other thing about this is like, I don't know if you remember any sex ed that you got. Sex ed for women includes ovaries and uterus. Yeah. Like we really didn't even get taught the, like the important feels good sexual bits. So that's why, that's why it's so important to talk about it. So the vagina is the inside tube. Babies come out, periods come out. We can put things in there. So that's just a, (laughs) it's a tube. It's stretchy. It's elastic. It can accommodate things. The vulva is actually. It can can accommodate things. It can accommodate things. (laughs) Carry things in there. So the outside is really where the pleasure comes from. The clitoris that we see, if you actually like look at that, that little nubbin is the tip of the iceberg. Mm -hmm. That's like a 10% of your clitoris. The rest of it is underneath your labia. That's why like labia play feels so good. Massage. Labia is like erogenous. We actually have erectile tissue very similar to the penis. It's just the clitoris and the clitoral bodies are like underneath the labia. So labia are, are very important. And that's all pleasurable stuff. Wraps all the way around the vagina. One of the more common surgeries I've seen women get is they're calling it vaginoplasty, but it sounds to me like really what they're doing is a labia reconstruction. From what you've just described, which I did not realize, I would assume that may have in some way disrupt pleasure in your body's sensation down there. Is that yeah. fair? Yeah. I think that's an absolute, so you're basically cutting erectile tissue of the female. So I think there's been this, you know, we're very visual now with all of our social media, porn is what we watch. And a lot of porn actors may have been modified to kind of have a very clean, flat look. So I think that's where a lot of women are kind of driven to. The important Mm. thing to know about labia minora is they can be unequal in size. The labia minora can be bigger or stick out from the labia majora. It's totally normal. We literally don't know this and we don't have any good resources to go to to be like, am I normal? So we're kind of getting the normal from maybe some media that doesn't portray like true anatomy. Yeah. 
But yeah, it's erectile tissue. It's super nerve sensitive. And there's a lot of arousal that can come from that tissue. So anytime we cut on it, modify it, you can decrease or change that arousal. So is there ever an instance where somebody might want to consider doing that type of surgery? Like I've seen, there's one gal, plastic surgeon on Instagram, which by the way, I'm not a fan now of those who are quote unquote experts because they have a huge following on Instagram, learned my lesson. But there's one gal on Instagram, plastic surgeon, who this is kind of like her specialty. And oftentimes she'll talk about why the woman is doing the surgery. And she'll say things like it was really uncomfortable for her because she had excess size or skin in the labia. And she felt like it was showing through her clothes or rubbing weird. So are there ever instances where you might want to consider that? Yeah. And I think that's a very good example. So I'll see women and they come in and the labia menorah, it'll catch, right? So like, I can't ride a bike because it'll catch or like with sexual intercourse, it kind of gets pulled into the vagina. That's very uncomfortable for her. So that would be a good instance where I'd say, yeah, I think labiaplasty is totally reasonable. Your insurance will actually cover it for a medically, you know, indicated reason. Whereas cosmetic is not covered by your standard insurance. But I always counsel women. I'm like, In case you didn't know, labia minora is a sexual organ for us. There might be some changes to sensation. I always put that up front. I never want anybody to be surprised afterwards. Yeah. You're so comfortable talking about this and you, and just even your approach and your style. I, I love, like when I listen to your podcast, I'm like, oh, she's my kind of girl. What is it? I'm just curious though. What was the initial interest? Was this an interest before you went to medical school? No, I mean, I, I think back, I'm like, what is, well, I always like fine talking about penises. So I'm like, you know, <laughs> trying to figure it out. I was raised Catholic, right? So like my vulva was ignored just like everybody else's. Yeah. But I was always curious because it, it, you couldn't talk about it. And I was kind of like, what is this thing that adults don't want to talk? So I was kind of always kind of this curious kid. But then I forgot about it when I went to med school, ended up doing urology, which is pelvic surgery, right? So we give all the Viagra out. And I actually had this woman probably about three years ago, a cured her from bladder cancer, comes mm. into my office bawling, saying she doesn't have any sexual desire with her husband. She feels super broken. And I had no idea how to help her. And then I'm like, but we give Viagra out all the time. Who's taking care of the people who are sleeping with the people with Viagra? Right? <laughs> And so I kind of had this like awakening of like, who's taking care of the women? And, and is it true we don't actually know anything about women's sexual function? Because that's what I was told in med school. We were told women are too complicated. Like we're too complicated and we just don't know. And that's and partly I, because I would assume to do just about any kind of study on women, most companies will avoid it because there are so many variables. It makes it very expensive and very difficult to do any kind of decent basically survey or studies of women. Is that true? Yeah, it's true. This is actually a good one. So there's no FDA approved female testosterone product in the United States of America. Australia has one, just, you know, somebody has one. It's going to cost a pharmaceutical company $1 billion to do the study to have an FDA approved women's testosterone product. And to get another, there's 26-ish male testosterone products on the market roughly right now. And to do another one to get another male product is going to be, you know, a couple hundred million. So like, it's very, very hard to study women. And then you, a pharmaceutical companies like, who's going to throw down a billion dollars? You know what that medication would cost, right? So point being, there is a sex discrepancy. Absolutely. It's not, wow. it's not in our heads. So a billion to dollars. Get back to your story. The woman comes to you, she's struggling in this way. Yep. And I have a box of Kleenex and that's all I have. And so then I got got curious and I'm like, is it true that we don't know anything about women's sexual 
function, right? And so I go like go back and I just start reading. I've read like 40 books now and I start going to the conferences and like this voice in my head was like, you can't help enough people by just being a doctor in a clinic anymore. You have to start a podcast. You have to start talking. Women want to know because it's not true that we don't know. We just get, you know, told, oh, we're just complicated. It's like, no, we're just fed the like male paradigm of like put something in the vagina and why doesn't it feel good to you? <laughs> So, yeah, there's my short story of, like, how I now love talking about this. Did you help this woman? And how did you help her? Oh, first of all, vaginal estrogen, because she's postmenopausal. And the vulva and the vagina basically became female because of estrogen. And so when estrogen goes away, those tissues really start to tighten. They get dry. They get less collagen and blood flow, which affects arousal. So the first thing is, like, how's your pelvis feel? Because I always tell women... You can't have desire or good sex if you have pain, right? Like our body's job is to avoid pain. So women will come in and they'll be like, I have pain with sex and no desire. And I'm like, no, 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 you have pain with sex. Like you're you're never going to desire that, right? Yes, yes. So you always got to fix the pain first. So that was the first thing that we did. And so, you know, because I hear this often, especially from women in my audience who are, you know, largely perimenopausal or menopausal. And they will say like, yeah, I just, it's painful now. And I don't think they know why, or sometimes they assume it's painful because I'm not having it frequently enough. Yeah. Yeah. What's going Uh, on? So it's totally just menopause. But I mean, that's the other thing about what we erase in this country, right? Like what woman knows that a dry, painful vagina is just menopause and that there's something that's pretty cheap and like fixable for it. Like Mm -hmm. women don't even know that because I'll tell them, I'll be like, you know, this is just menopause. And they're like, no. Like, so we don't even t- talk enough about menopause to then say, well, these are the things that happen after menopause. They really. Is it, is it typically after menopause or is, do you also find that some of these symptoms begin when women are perimenopausal? Perimenopausal, perimenopausal. And perimenopause is this broad thing that you can't really tell when it starts. Like it's, it's any time, like within 10 years of when your menopause is going to be, which is in the future. So you don't know when it's going to be right. What annoys me is a woman will come in and she'll be like, early 40s or something and she's like yeah my doctor told me I'm too young to need hormones and I'm like how do they know menopause is different for everybody and perimenopause starts different for anybody so I really just love starting the conversation for people and the thing about like having more sex so that sex is good it's always a tricky conversation I think because you never want to do something that hurts to make you want it more Right. right. That, that doesn't make any sense to me. But there is some logic to like, if you get blood flow and arouse, it's kind of like exercise, right? Like if your body knows how to get aroused and blood flow and how, you know, what works for it, it's going to be easier to do it. There is something to it. But I think it, it's a slippery slope of like, yeah, you're supposed to just have more sex so that you have better sex. It's like, ah, fix the problems first. And, yeah, yeah. Yeah. And then it'll get better. So talk to us about how we can increase estrogen and or testosterone. Like I've got a girlfriend here who is about my age too. And we both, she's like, oh, I've got to hear this. And so she just asked me about the testosterone pellet Mm -hmm. and, you know, whether it's creams or, or pellets or, or shots, you know, there's so much misinformation around hormone replacement. And you hear so many people saying like, oh no, you want to avoid that. Like the plague, you want to do bioidentical. What's the dealio? Yeah. I love this conversation. This is such an important conversation to have because there's so much misinformation out there. So the first thing to tell people is like testosterone is a female hormone too, right? Like it just gets labeled as a male hormone. 
And then we think like, oh, we don't need it or it's not important or we actually have, you know, pre-menopause. So like 30, let's 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 pick a 30 year old. She actually has more testosterone in her body than estrogen. Mm. But like nobody knows. Nobody knows that. Right. Like if you label testosterone a male hormone, you've just made it not necessary for you. Right. So. Testosterone goes, starts going down. Ovaries make testosterone. Also, the women make one-tenth the amount of testosterone as men, right? So men have way, way more, but it's still very important in our body. There's no FDA-approved product. Like I said, it's going to cost us a billion dollars to make one. So what's happened is kind of this off-label compounding has really been the only avenue for women, and pellets is a really common way to get it. I don't do pellets, but I give testosterone to women. I just use the male product and we dose it at one-tenth the dose. That's dirt cheap, too, because it's just generic prescription. Pellets tend to be expensive. I don't make any money off of doing pellets, right? So I have nothing to sell. There is data that shows that pellets are super therapeutic. You're going to get a higher, much higher dose. You can't really reverse it or take it out if you didn't like it. So a lot of women say, hey, hair loss. As a side effect that's really unpopular, they also get this really high steroid dose because of testosterone and then like have trouble or be uncomfortable kind of coming off of that. What do you mean by coming off of it, uncomfortable coming off of it? Like if you take too high of a testosterone dose, it's like a steroid rush, right? And then you're like, ah, it was super great. And I just, it doesn't feel like that anymore. Or like, you know. Like in terms of energy, is that what you mean? Yeah. Or just kind of like, you can feel like, if you get too much testosterone, you can feel kind of ragey. So some people feel like super good. Right. But so the national guidelines don't recommend pellets for that reason. Okay. No, they're just super therapeutic. There's data to say compounded hormones have more side effects than the FDA approved products. So I'm a pretty much an FDA approved ah. product lady, just because I know what you buy is what you're getting, like legitimate. It's not varying depending upon who's making it. And it's, I mean, truthfully, it's dirt cheap to be on one tenth the dose of a generic male product. Super cheap. And what do you find happens when women are, or what are some of the symptoms that someone might be experiencing if they were low in testosterone? It's so generic though. It's like decreased energy, decreased vitality, feeling less like yourself, decreased muscle mass. So it's, it's kind of generic, just like men on testosterone. You've seen the male yeah. advertisers like, are you feeling, you know, less than what you felt? <laughs> it's just so generic. Yeah. So there is the guidelines in America really say testosterone for women is for low desire. That's like the legit reason you can go in and get testosterone. It's rare you're going to get it for like for vitality. But I think it's a part of like if you're going in to get hormones anyways and you want, hey, increased desire might be nice. Hey, I like to work out. Maybe I want to preserve my muscle strength and my bone health. But there isn't a lot of data to say if testosterone's indicated for all those things. I see. But I, I have a lot of women on testosterone along with their estrogen and progesterone. They're like, I feel fantastic. Which is a nice thing to say. It's a nice thing to feel. Because I think one of the most common things I hear from my audience as they continue to age is, I don't feel like myself. I don't feel good. It's harder to do my hair. It's harder to look like myself. I just don't have the energy. Like I give zero Fs. You know what I mean? Like yeah. they just like, Ugh. like yeah. I, I don't care. And, and they don't like feeling that way. It's not just a place where you're just more confident and don't have tolerance for things. But literally you're like, I just don't feel like myself. Mm-hmm. Yeah, and I think it's legitimate. I think, you know, Western medicine, I'm a doctor. I got trained in Western medicine. We're really good at fixing disease. We're not super awesome at preventing it, right? It's like, why wait for yeah. her to go in and feel kind of blah instead of like, hey, it's I'm 55. I'm having horrible hot flashes. I'm not sleeping well. My libido's kind of tanked. I'd like to help my bones and prevent osteoporosis. Can I do some hormones? Can I just try it? Yeah. 
And so what's the recommendation for someone who's like, yeah, I think all these things are happening. Do they go to their general practitioner and what do they ask for? How do they become an advocate for their own sexual health? Yeah, you really, it's, that's, you touched on it. You, at this point, you have to be your own advocate because doctors aren't trained in this, especially they're not trained in female sexual health. A lot of doctors aren't even trained in menopause and it happens to 50% of the population if you want to live over the age 50. But in the early 2000s, and this just to explain it, a big study came out, the Women's Health Initiative. Scared the crap out of everybody. Sorry, yeah. we didn't check with swearing on your podcast. It it's scared people. Swear word now, we're good. <laughs> it scared people. So doctors stopped learning how to give hormones for about 20 years. And a lot of women suffered. And we saw lots of things happen because of that. And I think only now, 20 years after that big study came out, we're saying, hold on. We need to start learning about menopause. We've got all these women who are going to spend one third to one half of their life in menopause. How do we take care of them? You know, one of the reasons why you and I were connected is because I did this poll on Instagram, you know, very personal experience where I'm like, God, I feel like I have to go pee like every, it feels like every hour. No, more than that, like sometimes twice an hour. And then, and it literally feels like pressure. And I'm like, this it continues to happen more and more as I age. Mm-hmm. And I asked my audience and 98% of the respondents, and I think like 20,000 people responded, said this is true for them. Yeah, it's so common. So genital urinary symptoms of menopause is a total mouthful. It used to be called vulvovaginal atrophy, but they didn't like the atrophy word. Say that so again slower. Genital urinary symptoms or syndrome of menopause. So GSM. Okay. So basically, like I said, how the labia and the vagina became themselves by seeing estrogen, the bladders, the bladder is a condo mate, right? It shares a wall with the vagina. And so it also loves having estrogen around. And what you start to see after menopause, if you don't supplement with especially vaginal estrogen works great for overactive bladder, urinary frequency and urgency is women will start being like, ah, it just kind of burns a little bit more. I kind of feel this urgency, but I just went. Like, is, is my bladder not emptying all the way? Because I just went. I feel like I had to go again. And it's like, did you know that was a symptom of menopause? And they're like, no, because we don't get taught about menopause. But vaginal estrogen specifically is incredibly safe. I think it should be over the counter, but it's not. But that really cuts down urgency, frequency. Vaginal estrogen decreases the risk of urinary tract infections by 68%. Wow. Yeah. Okay, so when you say vaginal estrogen, do you mean estrogen that is applied there or is that a specific type of estrogen? There's a couple of different ways. There's pills, there's creams, and there's a ring. Vaginal estrogen just means you're taking a product that has estrogen in it and putting it in your vagina. Okay. And so I, t- I tell women, I'm like, this is actually for your bladder. We were just putting it in your vagina. <laughs> okay, got it. Huh? So you can get the two most common creams are estradiol and then Premarin. They're both great, but estradiol is generic. So it's going to be cheaper for a lot of people. I um, thought estradiol was something that we produce naturally. It is, but then and that's we- also a generic or a, a brand name as well. Yeah, a trendy word for it. A lot of experts hate the word bioidentical, but like it's bioidentical, meaning it is what you made. But it's that's a you'll see that on the, on social media a lot bioidentical yeah. nat, natural hormones, but it just means it's exactly similar. It's made from yams in a factory somewhere. But, but when you say there's a, a product called Premarin and there's one called Estradiol, so there's actually a brand. Those are brand names. Yeah, brand would be Premarin. Premarin makes a vaginal cream, a vaginal estrogen cream, and then Estradiol is the generic of it. Okay, and are these both? The best way to use them is via cream, not a pill or injection. 
the best vaginal estrogen is the estrogen you're going to use, right? So some women don't like, they don't like the cream because they think it's messy. I like the cream. It's my favorite because you can put it on the vulva. You can put it on the clitoris. This is what people, I didn't even learn this in med school, is your labia minora dissolve, they go away, they atrophy, they disappear. Tell me what the labia minora is again. That's the non-hair bearing inner lips. Okay, got it. Yep. Will go away if you don't keep putting estrogen down in your pelvis. What do you mean they'll go away? Where will they, they go? go? They dissolve. They disappear. What? I know. And I didn't even learn that in med school. I just thought all like these the like... atrophy? What yeah, they atrophy. Mean? It means if so if you look at a vulva of a 70-year-old who's never who didn't keep taking vaginal estrogen, she'll have outer labia majora, but she won't have any inner labia minora. So number one, bummer for sex. Number two, it actually is a protector of the urethra and the vagina, and that goes away. More UTIs, more vaginal infections, more irritation. So it's the labia minoris has a protective effect too of the vagina and the urethra. So it's kind of like your gums and your teeth. Like if you don't take care of your gums, your gums are going to atrophy. They're going to start to disappear. Yeah. I guess recede is a nice word. Recede. Recede. Yes. Yeah. But people, so so that, fascinating. That's why I like the cream because you can put a little cream on your clitoris, keep the blood flow. Daily? No, just twice a week. Wow. I know. And think about this. How much do women spend for creams on their face? A bajillion dollars. A bajillion dollars. So I tell them, like, this is just skincare. It's just skincare. And it's only twice a week. Okay, so let me ask you this. If I were to use the vaginal estrogen and then have sex, does my husband turn into a woman? No. Okay. I, but, I, I, but I tell him, like, don't use it as a lube. Like, okay. he, does, he does, probably doesn't need that on his penis. <laughs> um, so I, I just tell people, like, put it in. You're going to go to bed. Boom, put it in right before bed. Or It's only twice oh, a week, oh, too. Right after the act. Or after the act. Yeah. Yeah, yeah just okay. don't use it as a lube. And so what is the ring? Is that like a Nuva ring? Yeah, it's like a Nuva ring. But the nice thing about the ring is you can you plug and play. You just like put it in and forget it. It stays in for three months. Wow. Yeah. Okay. So I, I use the Nuva ring I had many years mm-hmm. ago. And so for those of you who aren't familiar with what a Nuva ring is, and I'm just going to go for it, even though I'm not an expert here, is it, it kind of looks like a clear rubber band and it's soft and pliable, but it has a little bit of shape to it. So it's not as like floppy as a rubber band. So you can kind of like twist it to insert it like a tampon. And then it, I assume that it spreads and it would just release hormone, birth control hormone at a lower level throughout the the month. And then you just take it out when you normally would have your cycle. Yep. That's the new so ring. is this about the same size and the same process? It's like a teeny bit bigger. It's okay. just, basically the same size, but you get to leave it in for three months. That's great. It's great. So is that something that's covered by insurance? Yeah. Like, can I go to my GP and say, I, I want the estrogen ring? Yep. It's called estring. E-S-T-R-I-N-G. I think it tend, for most insurances, it tends to be a little bit more expensive than the cream because the cream's generic now. Uh, but, but I'm like, it's for three months, so divide it by three, that's your monthly fee. And if it, like, especially for recurrent UTI women, I'm like, if this, yes. if your vaginal estrogen prevents one urinary tract infection, it's paid for itself. Oh, 10 times <laughs> over. Oh my gosh, there's nothing more uncomfortable in the whole world. Like, it's yeah. so hard to describe. Peeing razor and blades. It's always on the, like my friend just said, it's always on the weekend when there's no doctor's office open yeah. and you just, it's impossible to even think yeah. when you have one. So let's talk about the bladder again. One other really common side effect 
that I hear many women complaining about is like that they don't have the same bladder control. Like they can't sneeze or laugh or do jumping jacks or jump rope anymore. Could that also be related to estrogen? It can. Yeah. uh, Mostly related to having vaginal birth. Right. Mm. Uh, So that's called stress incontinence. So any stress or force on your pelvis creates too much pressure that your pelvic floor can't resist it. So urine leaks out. Mm. So that's called stress incontinence. Very common after vaginal deliveries. And then as we age, we lose our collagen. Again, another estrogen, you know, not having enough estrogen byproduct is we lose our collagen. So we lose our collagen and our muscle strength in our pelvis and we'll have more bladder leakage. Physical therapy works great. Slings were, slings are great, but it's mesh in your pelvis. Not everybody's a fan. They do. It does work great as a surgery. And then there's another thing that's kind of newer on the market called Bulkamid, which is basically if you think of lip filler, it's lip filler for your urethra so you don't leak urine. What are they injecting in there? What? What or where? What? What? It's a. It's like 98% water, and it's not hyaluronic acid, but it's just a little bit of substance to like keep it there. But it's like mm. mostly mostly water, and you just put it in your urethra to add a little bit more. It's basically taking the place of collagen, right? Mm. Like just how we do face fillers to really help with stress incontinence. So that's been really exciting to be able to start to do because women are like, I don't really want to sling, but I'd like to be yeah. able to like work out with and play soccer with my kids. Right. Well, so I never, I uh, had one vaginal birth, one C-section, and, and I, I never experienced that ever. But now that I'm, I think I'm 52, I don't know, I'd have to ask my husband, I think I'm 52. But now like there are times where, and I feel like it's related to that time of the month for me, because I'm not trying to brag or anything, but I do still get my period. And I will notice like certain times of the month, I'm like, I don't have the same kind of bladder control. Like I could sneeze or laugh or whatever. To me, in my mind, I'm like, this has to be hormone related. Probably. I think when women think it's hormone related, they're usually right. Amen. We really know our bodies, don't we? Yeah. I just, I saw a lady this week. I was her fourth doctor. She's like, do you think this is related? This all happened when I stopped taking my hormones. And I'm like, that's when people see me. They see me six months after they stopped their hormones or, you know, a year after their period stopped. It's there. And I'm like, women are usually right. Then she cries because nobody believes her. So here's what I've been confused about. And I've had a few hormone experts on my show, but I I still am like unclear. Does, so this is probably like a three-part question. Number one, does every woman as she approaches menopause need to be on some type or should she consider some type of hormone replacement so that she can maintain the same energy, vitality, uh, vaginal health? So that's number one. The second thing is once I start doing a hormone replacement, am I doing that for the rest of my life? The second question, just because it's quicker, is yes. Uh If you stop your hormones, you'll just kind of start going into what happens when you don't have hormones, right? So the old, again, old school, when we scared everybody, we said as little a dose for as little as possible. That was kind of like the mantra. The North American Menopause Society, NAMS, came out 2015 with a statement. So this is not brand new. They're saying if you're healthy and you're doing well with your hormones, you just keep taking them till you die. My gift is I see 30 different women in all stages of life every single day, right? So, like, I've been paying attention to, like, how do I get there looking that good, feeling that, like, I've been a student of this for years now. I get 82-year-olds bouncing in with their, like, hoodies and their sneakers and they've got plans and they're like, you will rip these hormones out of my cold, dead hands. They were the lucky ones who didn't get their hormones taken away when we went through that hormone scare, right? And I'm like, wow, I want to be that, But you can just tell. 
So that's, that's the first question. You, doctors will still tell women, well, I get it all the time. Well, you're old enough now. You don't need to be on those anymore. You're too old to still be on those. It's been long enough. Like, I hear that all the time. And the true North American Menopause Society says, if you're healthy, you remain low risk. Because any medication you take has side effects. Like, I can't say this is like, you know, drinking water. But you don't have to stop. We wow. know we know that women in their, between the ages of 50 and 60, on hormones have a three-year longer life expectancy, decreased cardiac event of 30%. Like, they, people do well on these hormones. We yeah. just We just went through a really big 20 years of scaring women. So I have a friend of mine who's just basically recovered from breast cancer. And I know there's a lot of people listening who, one of the reasons why they fear hormone replacement of any sort is because of the scare or risks associated with cancer and specifically women who've had breast cancer, like they, you know, basically put her into menopause prematurely. And, you know, now her libido has dropped to nothing and she's experiencing all of those side effects, but yet they've told her you, you can't take anything. Yep. Yep. So, so is that accurate? And for how long? It's really a personalized conversation with your oncologist, right? Because every, every cancer is different. What stage was it? How bad was it? All this stuff. But so for the breast cancer population, it's pretty unique still that they're going to let you go back on hormones after you've been treated for breast cancer. Mm-hmm. Caveat being the vaginal estrogen that helps with the bladder stuff, the sex stuff, all of the blood flow dryness down there. We do allow that now in women who've been treated for breast cancer. My advice would be ask your doctor, ask your oncologist if you fall into that category. But quality of life is so important. You know, these women, we're curing breast cancer like we've never cured it before. These women are living for decades. And and if you're having recurrent UTIs, you're going to the bathroom 17 times a day, it burns too much to be intimate with your partner. These are quality of life issues that should be addressed. So with vaginal estrogen, does that reach the uterus? No, not enough. It's so low dose. I just read this. A year of vaginal estrogen is the equivalent of taking one pill of estrogen. Like it's dirt. It's so low. Like the risk is. But it's enough to make sure that your labia doesn't disappear. Yeah, that your labia doesn't resorb. (laughs) And then your question, your question was, should everybody just be on hormones if they're healthy and 50? I would say everybody, everybody should be considering it. And what do you think is the best methodology to do that? I mean, because I certainly know there's. GPs that you can go to that are just like, you're fine and, and really just don't want to deal with it. And then there are uh, those doctors that aren't necessarily covered by insurance, you know, a naturopath or uh, people who specialize in, in hormone replacement. And then you feel like you're on, you're just wondering, like, I, I'm taking all these things, and I'm shooting myself up and I'm taking all these supplements. Yeah, yeah. Do I need all yeah. of this? So, you know, where's the right place to go? And how often should we be testing to see where our levels are? Yeah, so many good questions. I think that that kind of People who are making money off of hormones, right? That exists because your regular doctors does such a crappy job of it. That yeah. women are like, they want to feel better. They want to find solutions, right? But to the tune of thousands of dollars, when you're like, your bread and butter hormone therapy is pretty darn cheap. It's been around for years. Your insurance is going to cover it pretty well. Not, not great. Not as good as Britain. Britain just said all menopause coverage for women will not cost a woman over $200 a year. Like they just did that this week. We need to catch up, yeah. get ourselves right. Yeah, it's amazing. So countries are being like, and the amount of women who quit their job or have to back off on their job because of menopause symptoms is to the tune of billions of dollars. Like this really is an economic problem. If you're not sleeping, if you have hot flashes, you're not functioning like you can if you're not having those things. Yeah. Like I think maybe it's our moms 
that taught us this is just a rite of passage. Everyone has hot flashes. You're going to get them too. Just you wait, you know, and you're going to have a hard time sleeping too. Like all these things are going to happen to you. But really through education with podcasts like your own, we learned that's actually not the case. We don't just have to experience these things. There are solutions. There are solutions. And I think the old dogma was like, your hot flashes will just last a little bit. Like they'll just happen and then they'll be done. We know now women are going to get hot flashes, some of them into their 70s. You're talking like decades of hot flashes. So, and I I also really like to challenge people on like that, like natural shaming we tend to do with menopause, right? Like, Mm. well, poor eyesight's natural. We don't say don't get glasses, just deal with it. Like there's so many natural things, like dry skin's natural. We don't say like, don't use lotion. Like there's just so much natural, I think, shaming around menopause. And it's like, you don't have to live in her body. Like she, if she's feeling crappy, Go get help. Right. Gosh, that's so good. So let me ask you, do you do Zoom consultations and and can someone actually see you in person? Only in Washington State. I live in Washington State. Ah. I, I only practice in Washington State. So my podcast is now international. But uh, Tell us the name of your podcast. You Are Not Broken. That's a great title, too. Such a great and it's title. fun. I mean, anyone who likes the Shaleen show, you'll love it because obviously they get a chance to experience you here. And what about website, Instagram, the socials? Where can we find yeah. you? Kelly Casperson, MD. That's my Instagram and that's my website. And they're both linked in our show notes. You'll see them below. Kelly, you're awesome. Thank you Thanks for, for educating having us. Like I, I, sometimes I feel silly that I'm 52 years old. I think that's how old I am. And still referring to that down there as the Vijay Down, down the there. Vagina. And now today I find out that's not even it. It's not even <laughs> it. No. Well, I love talking to you. I love that you try to reach, reach all the women and, and teach them all the things. I'll come on again. And we'll talk about sex more specifically. Let's do that. Okay. Awesome. Thanks again. I really appreciate you. You're welcome. We'll see you soon.